Okay, so getting into the deep depths of my story today, I'm talking about going from burnout, the most intense burnout I've ever experienced, probably anyone can experience, and how I got to where I am now. How did I get to the place where now I have a six-figure business, where I live in my dream location, where I have three beautiful children and I get to enjoy them, that my husband is retired from the hustle, as he likes to say, and where we are enjoying our life. We have time freedom. We're building a beautiful legacy for ourselves, for our children. And how the hell did I get here? (laughs) That's what this amazing episode is about today. Welcome to the Expand Podcast with Jenna Brown. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my God. I have been wanting to start a podcast for a million years and I'm so, so, so excited to venture into this form of communication, of creating content, of connecting with so many amazing humans that are coming on to this podcast. And I cannot wait to share the things that are already coming through as downloads for podcast episodes. I can't wait to hear from you of what you want to hear about. But today I really wanted to start out this podcast with a bang and really share my story from going, um, going from just three years ago, intense burnout, near death experience to where I'm at now at a six figure business with a life of ease, living in my feminine flow, honoring my body, working 15, maybe 20 hours a week, max, enjoying my time freedom with my children, living in my dream location, going on vacations regularly, um, being in a place now where we're building wealth and financial freedom and a generational legacy for our family. How the hell did I get here? (laughs) I'm going to share that today in this episode. So in order to share it first, I need to start, right? I need to start where I started. And the truth is, is that um, it's been four years ago now that I was in a place that's entirely different than where I am at now. When my first son was born, that was nine years ago, I was running a nonprofit and I started this nonprofit, I should say, I started it, I founded it and I ran it for five years. And this nonprofit I built from an an idea. I was serving mothers and children and I built, I built it from an idea all the way to owning a building, serving hundreds of women in person, serving thousands of women online. It was a movement. And I was also a figure in our community at the time. Um, our family, my husband and I, we were deep within evangelical fundamental religion, Christianity. And I'm going to share a lot about that experience of deconstructing religion and what that looked like going from that way of life into what I live now. And at times it might be uncomfortable for me to share because this has been a part of my story that I've purposely left out for a long time because of processing through so much of the religious trauma and the grief that we went through. So at the time when I was running my nonprofit, I, like I said, was a pinnacle in the community. I was definitely known as a spiritual leader and not in the sense that I am now. I started this nonprofit. It was a Christian-based nonprofit. I was to the point where I was preaching in my church. I helped plant a church and was leading um, in that church. And I started to ask a lot of questions. I can remember around four-ish years ago now that um, I really started deconstructing my faith. And in that moment, I was still in the church. Like I was still leading. I was still preaching at church. I was still um, operating in the same way in my nonprofit. But I started to ask a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And in that time, I just started to get curious of like, why, why, how is this true? And honestly, it was because it didn't add up. The story that I want to tell today is it might not make sense to you of how this fundamentally foundational act of deconstructing religion has actually allowed me to be where I am today, but I want to share it and hopefully it will make sense to you. But essentially around four and a half years ago, I was at my, one of my, um, like somebody that I was mentoring, I guess I would say at her wedding rehearsal. 
and I was giving like a speech during her wedding. Um, because again, I was like this super amazing Christian person. And so I was giving the speech at her wedding, but we were at the rehearsal. And right before this, I had been, uh, we were at this restaurant and I had been off to the side. I actually was praying for this woman's leg to heal or something. I don't remember. And I came back in the room and totally unexpected. I sat down at the table. And when I sat down at the table, I, I looked at who was at my table and they were all my really good friends. And one of them who was also our pastor, whom I love dearly, but no longer really have a relationship with. And I sat down and I looked at him and I heard the words in my head, abusive father. And those two words literally catalyzed everything, literally catalyzed everything. And at first I was like, what in the world? And it was like clear as day that I heard these words in my head, abusive father. Now you have to understand, I know this person really well and knew that they were a super loving father and they were not themselves abusive. So I was super confused. I was like, okay, abusive father, got nothing, nowhere to go. (laughs) Nothing else came through. Right. It was just abusive father. So I started really contemplating that. And I was like, why did I get that? And I just had that filter all of a sudden come up for me. And now that I know what I know, I'm like, wow, this is so freaking incredible because this really catalyzed my growth and it really catalyzed my deconstruction. And when I say deconstruction, if you're not familiar with what deconstruction is, it's essentially like putting whatever you know to be true in whatever realm. So you could deconstruct the education system or the healthcare system or like family or religion, right? And I put my religion up on the the central like deconstruction platter and was just like, okay, let's pick it apart, right? So deconstructing is essentially allowing yourself to be open to the fact that you've been programmed and allow yourself to essentially pull pieces apart and threads apart that are no longer serving you. And deconstruction is essentially the falling of everything that you know to be true. And that can be really scary for a lot of people. So that's why a lot of people don't lean into it, right? (laughs) But I love to just lean into uncomfortable things. So I put it back, I put it up on 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 the shelf and was just like, all right, let's look at this. Let's pull it apart. Now I am a one, three profile in human design. And if you don't know what that means, that's cool. But a one is essentially the researcher. And so nothing has ever been more true about me in my life. If there is something that like, I want to know, you better bet your ass that I have bought like 32 books on it. And I'm the person that will like study on my own on Sunday afternoons, like learning the thing. Right. And so I was no different when it came to deconstruction. And, and I really, truly was like, what do I believe and why? Right. And this, this abusive father really catalyzed me into looking at these underlying beliefs that I had. So doing what um, any good Christian does is I was recognizing, and this is a joke, cause I don't think any good Christian does this, but <laughs> I, um, I really was like looking at him and I was evaluating. I'm like, well, he's not an abusive father. And I was like, oh, I know what it is. And I realized that so much of the teaching that I was participating in was about God being an abusive father. This is all really weird to me to talk about because it's like not the language I would use at all anymore for the universe, but I'm trying to like speak in the context to which I was understanding in the time. So at the time I was like, he believes that God is an abusive father. Why? And as I really like got deep down into it, I realized that at the core fundamentals of what I was participating in was what a lot of people believe to be true, which is this aspect of we are inherently sinners. We're born here on this planet earth and we are born with sin in our lives. And sin is essentially what separates you from God. And because you're separated from God, you needed blood to essentially be in right relationship with God. And there was a sacrifice that needed to be made. So God, because he loved you so much, God, the father, because he loved you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you on the cross. And because his son died for you on the cross, now you get to, if you say this prayer, and if you believe these set of beliefs, now you get to go to heaven when you die and be with God. (laughs) Now, those of you, if you're still in religion, you're like, yeah, sounds right. Um, for those of us who are not, we're like, that is the most fucking insane thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like 
it literally makes me sick to think that this is a message that I participated in. So anyways, at the time though, I was, I was still kind of contemplating this stuff and, and I was deep in this journey of, okay, abusive father. And I remember reading something and I don't remember who wrote it, but I remember reading something of like, why would you as a parent allow yourself to be more loving than the God of the universe that created you? And at this point I had two children, right. And it really came into this aspect of my heart of like, how could I believe that there is a God that says he loves me, but actually doesn't because he says that I'm a despicable to him. And then I can't be in his presence. Like I literally am not allowed to be in his presence because he's so holy. And because I'm so not. And this whole falling of all of the fucking things came down of just like this core, right? Like when you go to the core and you really go to the root, which a lot of people don't want to do again, I'm a one, so I'm a foundations person. So I'm always looking at people's foundations and like, why is your life the way that it is? It's because of the foundational beliefs that you believe. Right. And this is mine. I had these deep foundational beliefs that I was inherently awful. And honestly, I wouldn't have told you that. Like, I wouldn't have said that I believed in original sin or that if you don't know what that means, it means that you were born a sinner. I wouldn't have said that I thought my kids were born sinners. I wouldn't have said that, um, like I believed I was awful and I needed like God to save me. I wouldn't have said that. Right. And that's what a lot of people do when, when they're still participating in something that they're not really sure the foundational truth of it. Right. Um, they, they really don't know. So they don't know what to stand on or what's true, but I was, I am the type of person that's like, well, fuck that. I'm going to figure it out. Right. So I went deep. I went so deep. And first and foremost, like I deconstructed when I say deconstruct, I mean, pulled apart everything I believe to be true inside of the Bible first. Okay. So if you don't know this, if you're not like religious, Christians believe that like uh, the Bible is the inherent word of God. And what that means is essentially everything that is written in there, even though it was written by man was written through Holy spirit. And it is like literally God spoke it right. Like, so essentially this book is revered over anything and everything else. And it is ultimate truth. Okay. So before I ever questioned what truth was, or like, if the Bible is real or not, I deconstructed everything I knew to be true, quote unquote inside of the Bible first. Like I read the pages and was like, wow, remember how they told us hell is real. And it's like, not even in the Bible, except for two places that literally don't even say hell, but people have contextualized it to be hell. cool. Right. Like, or I, I deconstructed the whole needing of Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, like inside of the Bible. When I was like, wow, like the whole point of him dying was the fact that he didn't have to. And literally like people literally murdered him. Right. Oh God. There's just so many things. I can't even go into all the things, but I deconstructed what I believe to be true. Still having the filter of the Bible as inherent truth first. Right. So I still like, I was still going to church and it was funny because we were leaders in the church and like literally every single week, literally every single week that we would sit in pre like in sermons in preachings, whatever, I would take like my group of people back and correct like everything that was said. Like, I'm like, God is literally love. Like this was the filter I was coming through of like, God is still like your father and he still loves you. Like he's literally just love. Like that's it. Like you're not disgusting. You're not gross. You're not inherently sinful. You're addicted to like essentially that identity, but like, that's not who you are. Right. And it was like all of this convincing energy. And I remember at that time, I really thought that I had to stay a part of the system and change it from the inside out. And that was so interesting because what happened then, (laughs) what happened was essentially what was illuminated for me was honestly my subconscious programming, which if you're not familiar with subconscious programming is your entire subconscious is fully formed by the time you're eight years old ish, seven to eight years old. Okay. Your subconscious makes up over 95% of your daily actions. So we all think we're consciously going through your life, but you're not. By the time you're 30, you're literally just a repeated pattern. You're just repeating patterns from your childhood. Like you literally are just a pattern in the universe, (laughs) right? So 
if you don't know more about that, don't worry, I'm going to go deep into the subconscious mind. But essentially, this is where I really started looking at my subconscious programming. And I was looking at these underlying beliefs that were holding all of this shit up in my life, right? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, I literally have been taught, I've been fear-mongered since I was six years old, that I am a disgusting human being, that I deserve to go to hell because I have said a cuss word literally when I was six, that I deserve to go to hell. And that if I go up to the front of this altar, this literally happened when I was six years old. If I go up to the front of this altar and I say this prayer this right way, then I'm going to be saved from hell. And I'm going to get to go to heaven when I die. Well, who the fuck, what six-year-old wouldn't go up front, right? Like when you literally fear monger them. But if no one had ever told me that I never would have thought that I was inherently awful. I never would have thought that I was inherently bad. I never would have thought that like I was this awful human being that deserved to go to hell. Right. But thank goodness. God loved me so much that he sent his son so that I could to die. Like he literally had his own son murdered so that I could go to heaven. Like it just is literally bizarre to me now. Okay. So anyways, At this time, I really was coming back to this understanding of core beliefs, right? Of like what I believe is shaping my reality. Because that's true. What you believe is shaping your reality. If the reality you are seeing right now is not something you like, it's because there are core beliefs that are upholding it, right? That could be like money doesn't grow on trees. And so therefore you live a life of scarcity, right? It could be that money doesn't come easily and effortlessly. And you don't even know that's part of your core beliefs, but it is because it was passed down to you from your parents who worked hard, who were middle-class and like worked for the man. And that was what they were proud of. And you aren't able to get out of that because subconsciously deep down, that's a core limiting belief. That's creating the aura, creating your reality to what you're living. Right? So at the time I was still, I lived in this reality where it was, um, you were better if you were suffering. And also like God literally didn't want you to be happy. Like you needed to essentially preach to the masses about how unhappy you were and how your, your sacrifice was essentially what made you like more holy. Duh. Because the whole entire religion is based off of sacrifice and, um, (laughs) I'm like, how deep do I want to go here? And so this whole concept, right, just blew up, blew up, right, right the fuck in front of my face where I was like, oh my God, I've been taught that this abusive father that like your God, your father loves you, but actually he does like, sorry, you're horrible. So you can't be in his presence, but also like he's going to send his son to die so that you can go to heaven. And like, it's this whole gross gaslighting manipulation thing of keeping people in fear so that then they have power over them. So first and foremost, right. It had nothing to do with my pastor, love him to pieces. Um, but it, it began to be a reflection of me. And I saw it in him first where I was like, Whoa, he totally believes that God is like this awful human that wants us all to like die. Like the wrath of God was like the favorite subject. Right. And then I was like, Oh, well, I'm so much better. Cause like, I'm all about God loves us and whatever. <laughs> and then I like really allowed myself to see what was being projected And I still believed it deep down. I still believed that I had to, I had to change the system. I was in the system and I believed I had to change the system and that I was meant to be miserable because I didn't believe and believe anything that they said at that point. And, but it was part of like my cross I had to bear essentially was like, I just have to be in misery and be a part of the system so that I can change the system until I realized the whole fucking thing had to burn down. And this is when I started to get introduced to the idea of new paradigm, but you have to understand, I didn't get introduced to it. Like a lot of people do in their head. Like when someone tells them something or reads a book, I was introduced to it through my body, which brings me to the experience, the experience of a lifetime. So at this time I'm running a nonprofit, right? And I'm done. I knew I was done. I didn't resonate with the message anymore. I didn't want to save people anymore. It was so exhausting. I was done saving people. Right. And, and again, this is, this is why people are attracted to that message of, I need a savior because then they get to live out that I'm the savior, right? Like I'm the white savior that gets to save the entire world, um, with the right message, because I'm the only one that knows the right thing, AKA colonization. 
And so anyways, this was me at the time of like, I'm the only one who knows the right way and da, 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 da. And so I, I really like was going through this existential crisis and I didn't even know what that was where I no longer resonated with anything I was doing, anything, anyone in my, in my sphere, anything I was doing. And I didn't know what was happening to me. Like genuinely, I thought I was going fucking insane, truly. And I probably seemed like I was to other people as well. Right. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to run this nonprofit anymore. And I had this deep desire at this time to have another child. We had two kids at this time. I had this deep desire to have another child and it no longer resonated with me to live this suffering narrative that I came from of like, I literally worked for free for my nonprofit. (laughs) I worked for free. I was raising money. Like I had people supporting us like a little bit. Um, but I worked for free. We were moved, we moved out of our house to live with friends because we couldn't pay a rent because we didn't have any money. We literally were in so much poverty. It's unreal when I think about it. And honestly, the community that I came from, from loved poverty. It was like the number one thing they loved to talk about how they were poor. They love to like put that on this glamorization of how this is like what it means to serve God as we live in like really horrible conditions, but like we love people. So we're great. And that's a very much overgeneralization, but that's kind of when I look back on it, that's what I feel is that I lived in this, in this world where that was glamorized. And so I definitely took that to the extreme. So anyways, um, at this time I no longer resonated with anything, (laughs) nothing, nothing was fitting, nothing, nothing felt true. I really didn't know what truth was. I did. I'm not going to go into all of the deconstruction journey, but like one, like the biggest things I had to deconstruct in my journey were essentially like, is hell real? Like, are we really going to go die and burn in a fiery pit? Right? Like, no, because it doesn't even say that in the Bible. And then two, um, the second part was, is the Bible true? And what does true mean? Right. And so that was a whole other journey that I went on of like, this is really weird that we just think this book that is compiled of all these people's different letters is the word of God, because someone said that because like Jesus himself never said like, Hey, watch out for this book. That's going to be compiled. It's going to be all of my words. Like (laughs) it's bizarre. And then also like, what is true, right? Like what does truth even mean? It's subjective to the person. And at that time, because you're so conditioned, even as I'm saying this, I'm like trying to, I like can notice my inclination to filter. If anybody's listening to this, that's still in that world. Um, but at the time, right. Like I literally was so gaslighted to believe that truth was something that someone told me was true. Right. There was no self journey. It was, this is what truth is, is because someone told you a million years ago that this is the word of God. And therefore we must abide by it. Even though the whole entire thing contradicts itself and Jesus himself contradicted the entire old Testament. So it just is, it's fascinating. And also like, if you look at the character of God in the old Testament, and then in the new Testament, he's like a whole new bro. So like does not even make sense. Cause if he doesn't change ever, and he's always the same, how is he a completely different being in the old Testament? And then a new being in the new Testament, it doesn't, it doesn't add up, doesn't add up for me. It's a no for me, bro. So, um, anyways, that was a whole death, right? Like I'm talking about it just like, la-di-da. but the truth is, is it was death that I experienced. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I became a literal preacher. I literally had a Christian nonprofit. I was literally a missionary overseas. Like this was my whole identity. It was my whole identity being a good girl, Christian woman. That's who I was. That's literally what I lived and breathed. Right. And I did it really fucking good, like in accordance to what you're supposed to do. And it was literally like coming out of that was genuinely a death. It was the most intense ego death I've ever had because I literally did not know who I was apart from this identity, but it no longer resonated with me. At the same time, like I said, I was running the nonprofit and I knew I was done, but I didn't know how to leave because I had set it up, not in a way to actually like make money or, or serve me or like serve anyone in charge. It only serves the people that were there. 
And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to let go. I didn't know how to give it to anyone else. Like I didn't know how to ask for help. There were so many things I didn't have the skills for at the time. And so I just kept doing it. Right. And all of a sudden found out it's actually a really cool story, but I found out that I was pregnant with Effie, our third babe. And I was so excited. I was so, so, so excited. I was so happy to be pregnant with her. And I really, really, really wanted to have another baby. And I definitely had this internal conflict of like, I do not want to do this anymore. I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to do this nonprofit anymore. I'm done. I don't, I don't care about any of this anymore. (laughs) And the fire had gone classic manifesting generator, which by the way, I had no idea what that meant at the time, but, and probably would have said it was a cult, but I, (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, I went out of this. And what's funny is we went on vacation. So we went on vacation right after I found out I was pregnant. We went to the beach and I sat at the beach and I wrote in my journal and in my journal, I was like praying. And I said, please get me out of this nonprofit of the nest. That was my nonprofit's name. Please get me out of the nest. I want to leave the nest. I'm done. I know I'm done. I just want to be with my babies. I just want to enjoy my life. I'm done. I want to leave my church. I want to leave these this community. I just don't know how to get out. Like I genuinely felt trapped. I was like, I don't know how to not be this person. Cause I've spent so much time up uplifting, upholding this person in this way that everyone sees me. I don't know how to step out of that identity. Cause I don't, it's not me anymore. So I wrote this in my journal when I was on vacation, <laughs> I went swimming with my babes when I got back from vacation, I was sick and I thought that I just was first trimester morning sickness, you know, and I got worse again. I thought I was just really sick. I thought I said, Oh, I think I have the flu about five days later. I was to the point where I was hallucinating and I did not know what was wrong with me, but my only conscious thought because I hadn't been out of bed in five days. I hadn't eaten anything like, yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. I was so, 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 so sick. I've never been this sick in my whole life. And I had the conscious thought, finally, I need to go to the hospital and get fluids because I'm pregnant. So I went to the hospital and also I had been convulsing for like at least a day. So when I say convulsing, like my body was literally uncontrollably shaking. I didn't know what the fuck was happening. I just was so out of it. I was hallucinating. So I went to the hospital, want to get in the hospital. Finally, they were like, um, does your back hurt? And I was like, yeah, it does. But like, I think I threw it out throwing up and they were like, oh my God. And they like immediately, literally like all rushed in. It was a whole whirlwind, but essentially what happened was I started to like literally go unconscious pretty much that moment. And I had a UTI that turned into a kidney infection. I got E. coli from being at the beach, swimming in the water and that turned into a kidney infection and I had went septic. So if you don't know what that means, essentially sepsis is the last stage that your body goes through before you die. It's like when an infection gets into your bloodstream and your body, like basically goes into like dorsal nervous system mode and you go into like really extreme inflammation and your whole body is like, you're dying. So if you ever watch like Grey's Anatomy or like other, um, doctor shows that are super accurate, uh, you'll see that they'll say sepsis a lot. And it usually is because somebody is like going to die, right? Like they either need immediate intervention or they're going to die. So that was me. And I was seven weeks pregnant. And what my miraculous story is, right. Is that I survived that. And what's really fun is I love this story is the first night that I was there, I was, I was convulsing all night. So like sepsis, like essentially puts you into cold shivers. So I was like convulsing all night and I was in and out of consciousness. And at one point I had this dream and I woke up the next day and I had with 1000% certainty that I was going to quit everything. And my husband came to the hospital and I, he showed up all like, oh, hey, babe. And again, at this time, we had no idea how bad it was. Right. And he showed up and I was like, I know what I'm going to do. And he was like, what? And I was like, I'm quitting everything. I was like, everything is going to blow up. 
and it's going to feel like the worst death we've ever experienced, but we have to let it happen. And he was like, Oh babe, I think you're just tired. Like I, I think it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And I said, no, I said, everything's done. It's all done. I said, it's all going to blow up. It's all dead. And he was like, all right there, pal. Um, (laughs) where's the meds. Right. And it actually was this incredible experience in my life. This near death, I've had two near death experiences. And this one was so incredible for me because I had this, I had this dream and in this dream, I was standing on a stage and I was speaking to all of these women and I was telling them about the dead places in them. I get always get shivers on my whole entire body. when I talk about this. I was telling this story. I was literally telling this story in my dream, standing on a stage, telling all of these women, you, I was telling all of these people about this story in my life where everything died, where everyone stopped respecting me, where I lost my entire identity. I did not know who the fuck I was and that I allowed it all to die. And in my surrender to the death, that is where the new things were able to be born. I promise you in this dream, I was saying these words, I was standing on a stage saying similar words to this. And there's a whole other part of this story that I'll share maybe at another time. But in that moment, in my hospital bed, fearing that me or my child were going to die, I knew that it was safe to surrender to death. And so I did. After I came home from the hospital, I ended up, um, ended up developing post-sepsis syndrome, which is essentially just like my body was totally stuck in dorsal nervous system state. So it's like my body kept thinking I was dead, like literally dead. Um, and the inflammation in my body was insane. Um, and so, and there was tons of depression and I was on, I was literally on antibiotics makes me want to throw up. Thank you though, for saving my life for 31 weeks. Yeah. I was on antibiotics for 31 weeks and, um, I like, so obviously my gut was destroyed. My brain health was destroyed. All of the things were destroyed. Like it was so intense. And so in that post-sepsis syndrome, right. I was, we were living with friends at the time, loved them so much. I was pregnant with our third kid and I literally could not, I could not even walk up the stairs without taking a lot of time or someone helping me for at least a month. I laid on my back in that bedroom for hours on end, for days on end, for months, recovering, recovering physically, recovering emotionally, recovering spiritually. And it felt like death. That's what it felt like. (laughs) It wasn't like I was like super inspired and posting on social media. Like I was dead. That's what it felt like. And I would have people call me and they would be like, you know, in that process, I ended up quitting the nonprofit, handing it over to someone else. It's no longer operating. Um, I ended up stepping down and leaving the church. I lost literally pretty much every single person that I was a friend with or in community with, which there was like hundreds. I talked to two of those people probably now regularly, um, by my choice as well, like not on them. And so in that process, In that process, I really was born. (laughs) And here's the thing is like, everyone was probably listening to this podcast to be like, what are the action steps I need to do? And the truth was, is in those moments, if I never would have had those moments post-sepsis, if I never would have had those moments laying on my back where I literally could do absolutely nothing. If I didn't have had the, if I wouldn't have had those moments where people were like, like you're lying, like literally people would be like, you're making this up. They would be like, you are lying. Like the amount of rumors that were spread about me were fantastic. Congrats to all of you people that did that. Um, but if I wouldn't have gone through that deep death 
that deep grief, like insane grief of losing everything I knew to be true at that time, including my health, everything except my kids and my husband. We did not even have a roof over our head. Like we did not even have a house, right? Like nothing. We had no money. We had no job. We had no identity. We had no praise. We had no accolades. We had no support. Like it was straight up just us living in a little bedroom in our friend's house, grieving the death of so many things. And as I laid on my back and in that bed, I had a a window and it was, I loved that window, but I look at that window and I would just be like, we have it so fucking wrong in our society. Our society is built for people who have ability in their body. What about the rest of the fucking people that don't have ability to do things with their body? Right? Like I came from this world of in religion where you were only worthy if you were like sacrificing, if you were helping other people, if you were doing something in the world, if you had a mission and a, a like a whole thing you were executing. And I was like, what about the people who literally can't fucking get off their beds? Are they unworthy then of God's love? <laughs> right? Ah, oh, the depth that I could take you right now. And when I went into this low and I realized how much of my identity was built on ableism, it was built on my ability to do. And then my ability to do anything was stripped from me. Anything. You guys know me now as an amazing speaker and writer, but at that time, I could not even write. I didn't know how to write. I lost my ability to write. I couldn't comprehend. It's making me emotional. When I, when I got back into comprehension, I was reading children's books. Like I was reading my kids' books, having a hard time comprehending what they were saying. That's how fucked up my mind, my brain was from what I went through. Right. So at the same time, I know what I'm going through back home, right? Like I know that I can't read anymore. What's happening to me. I can't make my words go into writing what's happening. That's the one thing I had. That was like my best skill always in life was communicating. And I no longer could have a thought form and it be able to come out of my body or my mouth. It didn't work. It was just like, I was silent for like a whole year. I didn't, I like, didn't do anything besides just exist. Right. I knew that (laughs) other people didn't know that because I didn't share that with everyone at the time. And thankfully at the time I didn't have like any extra energy. So like I, people were saying rumors about me and people were total dicks, but like, I didn't even have the energy. I was just like, fuck you all. I don't care. I almost just died. And like, none of you were there. And also like, all I care about is my kids. And that was the truth. Like when I was on that near death experience on the table, who do you think I thought of all of the hundreds of people that I had saved their lives for Jesus? No, (laughs) I thought about my kids. I begged for more times with my children, more times with my husband. That's all I cared about. That's it. So everyone that's out here telling you that when you die, all you're going to care about is, is the, the legacy you left. I mean, maybe, but what you're going to really care about is, did you enjoy your fucking life? Did you enjoy it? Or were you trying to prove yourself the whole damn time? When I laid on my back in my bed for a year, the foundational reprogramming that happened in my body through this incredible ascension, ego death, dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, was death is safe. It's okay to let old versions of us die. And A lot of times it's not going to make sense to other people when you're like, I'm in a dying season. Like I can just tell everything's dying. It didn't make sense to anyone around me. Everyone tried to prove to me, like beg me to essentially not let things die. But I knew with everything inside of me that everything was done. And it was. I knew in those moments laying flat on my back for months on a time that my purpose before had been so wrapped up in what I can do for others. And I would have ran with that until I literally keeled over and died. Cause like, hi, I almost did. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I would have just kept fucking going. 
But in those moments, I really learned that my worth was that I exist. Like I am worthy of everything I want simply because I exist. I really was able to pull out those threads of ableism, pull out those threads of colonization, pull out those threads that I didn't want to see. They were hard to see. I was perpetuating that whole fucking narrative for 10 years. And I had to pull that out and be like, I was wrong. I don't agree with any of this. This is all bullshit. It's hurting people. It's abusive. That was hard. It was so hard, especially when I was conditioned and gaslighted my whole life to think that if I was one of the people that strayed away, that I was a horrible leader. Little did I know that all those people that were used as examples of people that strayed away from the faith, that I would become one of them. And they're the actual real leaders because <laughs> they're the ones who sit in their closets for hours on end, reading books and asking hard questions and being like, this doesn't fucking add up. It doesn't feel right to my soul. It doesn't feel right to my being. And I was one of those people. I went first. I experienced death in my body on such an intense level that there's absolutely nothing that you could go through that you could bring to me as death that I wouldn't be able to hold. Your death doesn't scare me. Your identity deaths don't scare me. I know how it feels. I know how it feels to lose a version of you that you thought you were. To look at the hard parts of all of the ways that it was serving you, even though it feels gross to you now. I know how hard it is to let go. To lose friends, community, your health. And what I found to be true, foundational truth, is that life is meant to be enjoyed. And that, my friends, is the foundation that I built my entire business on, was being present to the moment and enjoying my life. It was the first time I ever gave myself the permission slip that I'm allowed to enjoy this. (laughs) I'm allowed to have fun. It's allowed to be easy for me. It's allowed to be pleasurable. I'm allowed to have a a lot of money, an amazing, fulfilling business, boundaries in my life, and experience great wealth, like in every way possible, pleasure, fun. I allowed myself, I gave myself a permission slip that said, I get to have it all. I get to enjoy it all. I get to experience it all because that's why we're here. We're here to experience polarity. So how did I get from laying flat on my back and recovering for a year to where I am now? Well, I changed my whole foundations in my body. It's me first. It's me first, bitch. Like, that's it. (laughs) Before it was everyone else first. And I'll be this pancake lying on the ground that everyone can run over with their cleats, like straight up. And I realized that it's me first. It has to be me first, you know? And so I started me first felt like in the beginning, like death and allowing myself to grieve and allowing myself to heal and allowing myself to go silent, right? Like I've been a a face on social media for nine years and I spent a whole year not even having Instagram or Facebook on my phone. It was amazing, right? Like I allowed myself to be silent. I allowed myself to grieve the fact that I couldn't read, that I couldn't write. And those are the only things I knew how to, to use at the time, right? Like as coping skills. Um, I allowed myself to be where I was. I allowed myself to say, no, I allowed myself to be in the trauma of leaving religion. And, and I allowed myself to go through that pain and scary parts of realizing that you were religiously traumatized and you created a whole identity that isn't actually you, right? I allowed myself to create such fierce boundaries that offended a lot of people when I said like, you are not allowed in my sphere because you are not safe, right? Like that was hurtful for other people, but it was necessary for me. I allowed myself to become the bad guy in other people's stories. 
on those foundations, that's how I became to come back or began to come back in my body. That's how I began to come back to my truth. That's how I began to really start to have so much grace and compassion with wherever I'm at in any given moment in my, my experience that I'm experiencing right now. But ultimately is where I learned that like life is meant to be lived and pleasurable. And like, you're meant to be an active participant in it and you get to create it to be whatever you want. Right. Near death experiences are like an incredible gift because you realize that like nothing really fucking matters in the world. And like, it just all becomes like a playground. You're just like, I'm not really afraid of anything anymore. Cause like <laughs> I've seen it all right. Like it's, it's an amazing gift. Because it, it really like flexes that fear muscle of, I'm not really scared of anything anymore. Let's try this, right? So how did I go from like religious to the max missionary nonprofit chick to like, now I'm over here talking about like, this is the year of the wet pussy. Like what happened, right? There's about 7 million things, 7 million episodes in there of what we could talk about. And we will of what happened, but I want you to go home with this or at least wherever you are, go to your bedroom or whatever with this understanding who you are is not who you think you are. Who you think you are right now is just a result of a lot of fucking programming, a lot of programming that has created this identity that you live out. And the truth is, is you have probably outgrown the identity you're living out right now. Or why, why would you be listening to this? <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're just like a creeper wanting to know the story of mine, like, cool. But like, if you genuinely are resonating with this message, it's because a version of you is dying. A version of you is dying. And probably that version served a lot of people in the world. And the version of you that wants to be embodied now is the version of you that actually serves yourself. (laughs) And when you ask that question, when you allow that question to be asked, I should say, of what's dying and what am I embracing? You're stepping into your future. You're stepping in to this whole new way of being, this whole new way of operating. You're stepping into your soul. At some point in everybody's life, maybe your deconditioning wasn't with, um, or your deconstruction wasn't with religion. Maybe it was with school and education. Maybe it was being neurodivergent. Maybe it was with your sexuality or your sexual preferences or your gender identity. But each one of those deconstructions, right, is, is like literally an unshackling of this identity is no longer me. That's going to require you to grieve. It's going to require you to allow yourself to feel that death of maybe they won't accept me. And the truth is, is they probably won't. (laughs) Is that encouraging? I don't know. But the truth is, is that what you're being called into is greater because most of us, when we're dead asleep, we live a life in service to others. That isn't like this really beautiful thing. It's like this codependency thing of I exist so that I can help you. But when we move from that paradigm into the paradigm of, I actually exist to enjoy my life and through me enjoying my life, spoken like a true generator through me, enjoying my life to the full fucking max, I actually create more space for you to enjoy yours. And therefore I actually heal the planet rather than me doing this weirdo codependency thing of, I am nothing in this mother Teresa act of like, I am nothing and no one, and I am poor and broken and impoverished and, and a sinner, but I serve the world around me for the greater good. Like, honey, that never helped anyone. All it did was recreate victimization, which is essentially what you are. If you need a savior, you are in a victim. <laughs> ah, a whole other message for a whole another day, right? But when we transition our messaging from I am a victim into I am the creator I get to create my reality. And this is why I started where I started because so much of expand is going to be about creating the reality that you actually want to live. But in order to do that, you're going to have to put old identities on the shelf and say, what have I outgrown here? What am I done with? What, what, what's, what's, what's on its way out the window, right? You're going to have to get comfortable with grief. You're going to have to get comfortable with letting go. You're going to get, have to get comfortable with death. And 
if you're like me and you come from any type of religious programming, you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that you are not just like this victim of life happening to you. Life is always happening for you, for the things that you actually desire, that your soul came here to create. And you, my friend, are not this gross, nothing, sinner, broken person. You're literally the creator of the fucking universe who came into flesh form and is experiencing humanity, experiencing polarity, experiencing depth and emotion and joy and gratitude and sadness and grief and the beauty of the human experience. And you came here to create a new experience for yourself, for people around you. But you're going to have to embody the fact that you're actually co-creating your reality first. And I wasn't able to do that until I could look at all of my trauma religiously. Because again, my trauma came back to this whole view of like, you're nothing. (laughs) You have an abusive father who's creator and you're literally a pee on the ground. You're nothing. That is what I was taught, right? And coming from that of like, I am nothing. I am no one. I am victim. I need a savior into like, I'm my own savior. I stand into my own sovereignty and embody Christ consciousness, which by the fucking way, if you actually read the Bible this way and understand that Jesus Christ literally came to embody Christ consciousness. And he said, Hey, guess what guys, I believe I'm God and you should do like I do. You should believe you're God too. And he said that, and guess what? Everyone killed him. Not because he had to die. He died because he stood in a new way. I love Richard, um, Richard Rohr's book, Universal Christ. It's my all-time favorite book on Christ consciousness because that's what we're moving towards. That's what the new paradigm is. When we talk about the new paradigm is understanding who you are, who you really are who you really fucking are. Like you literally are the universe experiencing being human. You literally are God experiencing being human. Everyone around you is literally your soul. Like it's just so fun. I can't wait to go deep into it. Um, but this is where I end today. I hope that this has inspired you. I would love to hear your feedback. Um, if it's nice, if it's not like, it's cool. You can leave it. You can keep it to yourself. (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear any questions, any feedback, anything you want me to go deeper on specifically regards to this. It's not all going to be about religion, but I knew this was the place that I needed to start because it was the foundation that fucked me up. That's the truth, but also is the foundation that my soul chose because essentially I needed that colonized patriarchal And you'll hear me talk so much about this, about how I chose that. And I needed that because I needed that journey to stand in my truth. I needed that resistance. I needed that villain or perceived villain so that I could stand up into my sovereignty and say, this is who I fucking am, right? All of the bad guys in our stories aren't really bad guys. They're just fractals of soul that volunteered to be the bad guys in our story. So we stand up in our sovereignty. All right. I love you all. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I will see you next time on Expand.